Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, if there's one thing that we've learned over the last few years in a highly disruptive market uh, with the pandemic, which is the importance of staying connected with your customers, your potential customers. And that means going out and really checking the pulse and getting into the hearts and minds of your potential customers through market research. And it's an absolute fact that there is an incredibly high volume of spending that's going on. The market research industry in the U.S. alone reaching nearly $29 billion. It's estimated in 2022. It's risen steadily in low single digits percentages over the last five years. So spending is happening. But the bigger question is, is all that spending being done as intelligently as it needs to be spent? And I am excited to talk with our guest today to really get underneath what it means to be really effective at not just going out and executing marketing research, but gaining valuable insights from the market that's going to lead to meaningful action. Darshan Mehta has more than 25 years of branding, marketing, insight strategy, and technology experience. More than 20 years ago, he pioneered a variety of digital methodologies including online focus groups and surveys, and he has experience across branding, insights, management consulting for a large number of domestic and international clients. And it's all about long-range strategy that leads to competitive differentiation. He's an advocate of conversations and forging more meaningful connections, both professionally and personally. He recently launched Connect qik.com. So that's connectqik.com for instant connections and to forge more engaging connections. He has worked across the United States, Asia, and Europe. And drawing upon all of this experience, he's recently authored a book, Getting to Aha, Today's Insights are Tomorrow's Facts. And this is going to help all of us better understand and leverage the ever-changing consumer preferences. So with that as an intro, Darshan, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, thank you very much for this opportunity. Great to be here and talk with you. So I really want to go back and look at the the arc of your career and curious what originally drove your passion to really pursue a focus around research and insights. And how do you define that classic term research? And, And where does this idea of insights versus research come into play? Well, I realized back in college, well, let me even take a step further. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household. And so I've always kind of had that in my DNA, I think, from my father. And when I was in college, I really enjoyed case studies. I really liked digging deeper to find the problem. But more importantly, I really love the solutions. I realized I don't mind problems. I just love solutions. So then I started working in management consulting when I graduated and then gravitated more and more towards consumer behavior, branding, advertising. I just found that very fascinating. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. And 
in terms of market research, you know, for a lot of people, it sounds very ivory tower and a bit complicated. But if you really think about it at the end, it's really structured curiosity. And it's about digging deeper, having a deeper understanding of what really drives people to do something or not do something. That's where insights come in. And I think oftentimes people misuse the term insights, but it's uh, something that can be very, very valuable to do differentiation, innovation, and also to ultimately lead to loyalty. Yeah, so it's really not just the act of collecting information or data, but it's getting meaning from that data, right? Is that really where we start heading into what true insights are? It's something that's actionable. Yeah, it's actually getting to a core truth. It's not just, I think most uh, people stop at insights as being facts or observations, but it's much more than that. It's also understanding culture, technological trends, a variety of different things. It's probably the best example I can give you of what an insight is, is when you listen to a really good comedian and they're able to take things from different parts of society or observations, put them all together, articulate them into a thought that makes you say, oh my God, that's so true. I never thought of that. That is an insight. And that's what you're trying to do is when you're trying to do, as I say, structured curiosity uh, or research, you want to dig deeper to try to get at a core truth that gives you a better understanding of what's really driving a decision. Yeah, it's like light bulb moments, right, Uh, of realization. And so we've got all this spending, Darshan, and all of this market research activity, I get bombarded with invitations to participate in surveys you do. We all do. So there's all this uh, effort going out. What are some of the biggest mistakes that companies are making with their research strategies and execution? And how can they overcome those in truly getting to AHA? I think there's probably a little bit over-reliance on KPIs and data. And data is great, and especially now with digital, you can get so much information on when people are clicking. You can do a variety of different uh, A-B testing and so on. But there's one drawback to that, and that is it only tells you what people have done. It doesn't still get at the why. And I think oftentimes people don't pursue getting at the why, and that's the underlying behavior that's really driving something. And I think the combination of knowing that as well as the KPIs, I'm not saying don't do the KPIs. I'm just saying don't over-rely on them exclusively. And that's where I think a lot of mistakes are made and opportunities are foregone because they don't look at the why. And sometimes the competitor really understands the why better. And as a result, they're able to innovate or differentiate a bit faster or even better. Yeah, are there some key blockers? You know, so so not getting to the why is that there a reason why that often doesn't happen? Yeah, I think sometimes you don't get a deeper understanding of what's going on. Uh, give me a great example: uh, uh, Gillette razors. I mean, for years their innovation was going from one blade to two blades to ultimately five blades. But what that did was also increase the cost of the razor, and as a result, when you had to go buy a razor, you had to go to the agent or the clerk in the store, have them unlock the cabinet, get it for you, and then purchase it. And so while they were focused on innovating blades and the product, they neglected to look at what was happening with the overall buying experience. And then uh, along comes a startup that basically 
says you can subscribe to it now and you know basically changes the whole buying experience and completely took away market share from an entrenched leader that had over 75% of the market yeah, that's a great example. And, uh, you know, I've worked in a lot of uh, companies around uh, heavily product development oriented, and there is this this risk, this tendency to want to become so uh, infatuated and excited by just the, the features and capabilities in the product. But what you're talking about is the broader concept or context of the whole buying experience. So it's not just about product attributes, it's about the context of how you actually engage with the customer through a buying experience, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, I, and one of the things I talk about in my book is that people, I think, are buying more than just products anymore. They're actually buying experiences because in many levels, many products are at a high quality or very equal in terms of their uh, features and benefits. But there is a huge differentiator in terms of the experience one can have with one product versus another. And people now are, I think, more and more looking at the total buying experience from the time they think of it to the interaction with the brand to the actual purchase and then even post-purchase. What's their total experience? And that's something that's really driving more of the decision than actually just the product. Yeah, you bring up something that's really interesting, which is thinking about the broader life cycle. So a lot of times, emphasis, how do we get someone to behave up to that point of purchase? What you're talking about is there's a loyalty opportunity to think uh, downstream, right? Post-purchase as well. Absolutely. But even that, you know, at some point there are innovations or, or the needs of your customers may change. Um, most likely they're not going to tell you what the innovation should be, but having an ongoing conversation with your customers will tell you new pain points or existing pain points that are not being addressed. And that's where your opportunity as a market leader or in your space, you might say, hey, you know, there's a pain point that I know I can address and really make a difference. And that's also the opportunities, as I said, to not only differentiate, but also to innovate. And that's something a lot of companies are constantly looking for is how can we innovate? Again, going back to the experience that we just talked about with Gillette, there was an opportunity to not only innovate with the Blaze, but a greater opportunity to innovate with the buying experience. Yeah. And when we look at the landscape out there, we of course, we've got companies of all shapes and sizes and We've got entrepreneurs that are um, driving high-growth startups. We've got more established, larger companies and brands. Do you see different challenges that an entrepreneur would face when it comes to getting insights versus how the more mature companies and brands would go about doing it? A bit. I mean, there's always a challenge, right? I think the startups have more challenge with getting to product market fit. And I'd say probably the more challenging thing there is a lot of times entrepreneurs really believe in their baby, which is great. But sometimes they really still need to question it and go out and listen to the marketplace and see how they're going to react to a particular product. And sometimes they might give them enough insight to make certain tweaks to maybe even improve the product offering so that when they do truly launch, they can become successful. But on the other hand, bigger companies, even though they may have bigger budgets, Sometimes they're more reluctant to innovate because they're more likely to want to protect their existing product lines or services. Yeah, it is uh, interesting, this uh, intersection of resource versus, uh, I guess, mindset, you know, in terms of conservative to, to more um, outside the box. And so I guess scrappy is, is how I describe it. Sometimes those um, less financial resource uh driven companies, but they still uh, can get more creative and they might be more motivated 
to actually want to go out and get the insights than someone who's just in more of a protective mode. Yeah, the good news is now there's many opportunities to do research or pursue insights because the cost has come down quite a bit. And there's plenty of tools that allow you to do it faster for smaller budgets and on a more regular basis. So that's the good news. But I think you hit upon something which is really a change in mindset, whether you're big or small. Probably one of the biggest changes in mindset should be you really can't control what competitors do. You can observe what they do. You can keep a pulse on it. But the only control you truly have is what you do. And so you're better off really becoming your own biggest competitor and challenge your existing ways of thinking and doing things. And that's where you can have conversations with your customers to challenge some existing ways of doing things and really kind of like have trial balloons with them in, in conversations and get their reactions. And then that's when you know whether, hey, there's a real opportunity here. And once you might sense that, that's when you can do a survey to quantify what you're starting mm-hmm. to hear or, or sense and see if that's something that you can extrapolate to a larger population. Yeah, that's a great point because I know there's there's this constant debate. Uh, I come from up from the marketing discipline and you know marketers all the time. You know how much should we focus on competitive claims and really talking about the competition through a sales process? And I've always been in the camp that actually focus on self, focus on your unique capabilities. Don't venture into uh, focusing on uh, competition, bringing them into conversation. You're actually probably doing them more benefit than they're helping you. So uh, it is important to stay focused on self, get the insights you need about your brand, about your product, about your unique differentiation, right? And don't don't start over-talking, right? And, and being overly fixated uh, around the nuances of your competition and their messaging. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean you can't do some testing and get feedback on it, but no. at the end of the day, you ultimately only have control of what you do. You have no control of what your competitors do. And if you're always trying to emulate or or do something they're doing, you're still putting them in the leadership position because you're following them. Whereas if you innovate and go out on your own and look for new opportunities that they may not have tapped into, that's when you become an innovator versus a follower. Now, you've been talking about the value of going out, getting that customer feedback. Now, we've been experiencing this pandemic over the last two plus years. How have you seen that environment and all the changes that that's brought affecting the need and how you go out and engage customers and prospects to get that quality feedback? I think it's probably even increased even more, especially now because there's a huge event on a worldwide level that's really changed behavior and attitudes. And if anything, consumers are more likely to now be more judicious with how they spend. They're not just buying a product in many cases. They want to make a statement and buy a product or service that has a greater benefit to not only them, but maybe even society. And I think also as a result of the pandemic, there's even a greater need to get a pulse of employees and even gain insights because in many cases, your employees are the front line and that's what customers are going to see in terms of their overall experience. So I would say the the need is increased even more to not only get closer to customers, but also with your employees. Right. So there's this need, this opportunity to more easily go out and get the feedback. And then the age old question is, how do we make sure that as we go out, we gather those insights? How do we effectively translate that into tangible, meaningful actions? Any advice how to bridge that that challenge a bit better? 
I think that goes back to a little bit uh, to the beginning. We talked about what are insights. If you only stop at facts and observations and not really get at the why, your level of dissatisfaction with what you're finding is going to increase because you're still not getting at the why. However, if you go deeper and you have a deeper understanding of what's really driving something and get at a core truth, then I think you being able to act upon that core truth, that insight is going to be much easier. And then, as I said, if you really want uh, or have a need to, you can quantify that with quantitative methods as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like a living example, you know, on a major scale that we're seeing out in the market now is like you take the automotive industry, the traditional model of gasoline fuel cars versus now the electric vehicles. And there's obviously we're, we're headed in the direction, it seems like, of electric, but there is a whole different dynamic. There's a different buying experience. There's a different driving experience. There's a different ownership experience. Um, is that one that you've been tracking at all? I, it seems like that's a, that's a living laboratory to really understand how to effectively get the customer's uh, real important careabouts, and then how do you help uh, almost support them in this huge transition, right, of experience? Absolutely. I think the cars have always been a very interesting challenge for brands, marketing, and research. And there's so many segments to it, but you're absolutely right. I mean, with the new electric vehicles, the the experience of the car, being in the car, riding in it, everything is changing tremendously, but then also the experience of refueling. And I think that's all changing and, it, and, and there's different uh, markets for all of that. But I think as the prices come down, that's going to change as well. But the need to get a better understanding and the messaging that's going to work with different audiences uh, is, is greatly there. Now, there actually is this other dynamic when you're going out and getting feedback. And we, we all love nothing better than getting positive feedback, right? That's reaffirming. It's reassuring. But when you go out and you ask for feedback, honest feedback, uh, sometimes you're getting constructive and critical feedback. And there can be a tendency, we're all human, right, to maybe be a little defensive when our brand is being challenged, right, in a way we didn't necessarily expect. And, and maybe it can be tough to take that criticism and or to take action. What advice do you have for leaders that are actually getting very harsh or critical feedback to kind of fight through that tendency so you can actually take meaningful action. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we all feel a little bit of sensitivity to direct criticism or attacks. However, with the digital world now, whether you're having that conversation or not, your customer is going to have that conversation with or without you. So you no longer have a choice whether you want to be part of the conversation. And if anything, Oftentimes, customers aren't upset that something goes wrong. They're often upset with the way you react to them. And also, and when you've done enough research trial, you realize that actually these areas where someone is actually being critical or a little bit too um, aggressive in their comments, often those are the opportunities where an opportunity exists. Because if someone's taken the time to do that, in some ways, they're actually kind of rooting for you saying, hey, look, here's a real problem. If you can fix it. You're going to not only win me over, but you might win some other people over. So I, I would advise to, to, you know, put on two different roles. Sure, you should have the entrepreneur hat or the ownership hat for your product and service, but also put that aside 
for a, uh, for a minute and actually really listen to what these comments or what the root cause of these comments are. And if you can see an opportunity to really address it, you might find a whole nother way to capture some market share. Yeah, this digital dynamic you mentioned, it's changed the, the whole nature of how companies and brands interact with their customers. It's, it's all real time, isn't it? So you've got social media platforms and literally uh, you can have a comment go on and, and sometimes you see a response within minutes, right? Uh, to that. And those can become hero moments if done right. Yeah, absolutely. In some cases, I mean, they've been entrepreneurs that really didn't like a product or service and were never satisfied and they ended up starting their own. Uh, Patagonia is a perfect example. <laughs> he couldn't find yeah, anything yeah. that uh, met his needs and he was what I would call a super fan and basically created it. So that's where, like I said, there's often opportunities lie where you might perceive it as criticism or very critical uh, comments, but really look at them and see if there's an opportunity to really differentiate or even innovate. Yeah, it is true that uh, when you're on a very visible stage and and so that criticism comes in, it's in a public forum, it is more about the observation of how that is responded to. It's not even so much the reality of, oh, there was this, this negative experience. People are watching very closely is there going to be high defensiveness or is there going to be this just acceptance, openness, and responsiveness? And that actually can turn what might seem a negative into ultimately being a huge positive. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I mean, we're, we're humans, but also brands, it humanizes a brand. And that's ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to humanize a brand. And of course, mistakes happen, but the problem isn't the mistake. The problem is how you really address it. If you're honest and authentic in your response, you're going to basically humanize the brand and perhaps even forge a deeper connection with your consumers. So when you think about your diverse, lengthy career, what's the most influential piece of business advice you've received that's really made a difference? The one constant is change and also to never give up. So in other words, uh, keep a positive outlook and have resilience. Absolutely. And the thing is with, a, with knowing that the one constant is change, your choice at that point, do you want to be a part of the change or do you want to watch the change? And that's where I think a lot of companies um, you know, can make a, a mind shift that if they want to become a part of the change, that means really engaging in ongoing, deep, meaningful conversations with your customers. Wow. Are there some brands uh, that come to mind for you that you think really embody that really well? This idea of the resilience and just kind of staying positive in what could have been a really challenging environment. Sure. There's many brands, but I think the ones that maybe we can all identify with, I mean, look what happened with Apple, right? I mean, they were on the cusp of really going under at one point. And along comes Steve Jobs, where he was himself a music fan, but also recognize what was happening in the industry with the price of hard drives and components was coming down and realized that you know they weren't the first uh, players in the MP3 business at all. But he recognized that he could actually take uh, what was happening with components, hardware, and drives and basically create a device that you could fit into your pocket. And if you recall in his presentation, he evoked in motion by saying, you can now take a thousand songs in your pocket. And it's like, 
really? Are you crazy? That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I remember before yeah. trying to think of a bunch of CDs and I always forget some, but he not only did that, but he also put in this flywheel, which evoked another emotion, which was really just incredible. And so that is a company that totally, if it wasn't for that product, I'm not sure what would have happened, but it really turned them around. And then, of course, that led to the iPhone and other things. But that was a key turning point. Boy, they didn't give up and they innovated. But more than anything, they not only saved people time, money, and made it easier, they evoked an emotion. And that's a critical element. If you can innovate a product or service, but also evoke an emotion, your chance of being successful increased exponentially. Yeah, and you also, in that example, bring up another good point, which is uh, we hear talk all the time about, quote, first mover advantage. And actually, sometimes uh, I think that's a bit overblown because I think coming in, not necessarily being the first, but being able to come in, you have a frame of reference and you can just demonstrate even better that advantage. You can be a, a real key advantage to come in maybe second or third and not be the first. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, if you can get a, maybe you see an opportunity that someone's maybe opened up the door, but if you can get a deeper understanding of how to make uh, something better, easier, or less expensive, but not only that, also evoke an emotion, like I said, you're going to probably increase your chances to being successful. If you really think about it, business, most businesses are doing one of three things. And if they can do all three, that's even better. And that is, are they saving you money? Are they saving you uh, time? Or are they making something easier? If you can do one of those, your chance of being successful are pretty good. If you can do all three, I'd say, let's say it's even 3x. However, if you can do all three plus an emotion, then I don't know, we're talking maybe multiple x, right? Because once you evoke an emotion, the first thing most people are likely to do, they're going to want to share that with their significant other, family, yep. and friends. Yeah, that's right. And so the marketers that are trying to achieve marketing connection, uh, emotional connection, uh, in all of their outbound advertising, messaging. I mean, that's that's the pursuit. And uh, it, easier said than done, but when you do achieve it, it's powerful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when you look to the future, Darshan, what makes you optimistic? Demographics. <laughs> uh, I think, okay. uh, um, you know, I think when you look at the younger generation and you see their perspective. Many of them come from uh, parents that come from two different cultures or countries in many sense. They have a world perspective. And I think when they come into a position of power in the in professional careers, as well as you know, public and private sector, I think you're going to see quite a difference in the perspective and what it is they want to achieve with the decisions they make once they're in a position to make critical decisions, like I said, in the private sector and the public sector. Yeah, so let's dive into that just a little bit because what you're talking about is the multi-generational uh, dynamic that exists. So in a lot of the companies, right, you've got uh, maybe senior leadership that is a more traditional view, but now you've got the workforce of the future. You've got uh, younger, new mindset coming in in terms of team members. Are you? Do you think there's, uh, from a research strategy perspective, are you seeing kind of a a transition, a changing of the guard, if you will? in terms of the perspective and the approach to that based on just this blending and the new generation of the workforce. Absolutely. In. I think that's what a lot of these conflicts that we're seeing now in the world, uh, part of that is the is the challenge between the old and the new. I mean, you have a generation that's grown up uh, with uh, quite a few 
uh, worldwide traumas ranging from, you know, 9-11 to financial meltdown to wars and even, uh, you know, viruses, right? I mean, these are all been compacted for a young generation uh, in a, a big part of their lives. And so as a result, kind of going back to what we said earlier, people are driven, being driven more by meaningful decision and seeking more purpose in their life and the decisions they make. So I think you're going to see that eventually translate when these people come into a position of power in the private and public sector. Yeah, we're even seeing that play out just in terms of the workforce dynamic. And we hear about the great resignation and a lot of people making personal decisions to change their situation in massive numbers. Unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, I think it's become more and more a realization to more people. It's not something we, it's not that we didn't know subconsciously, but it's become more to the for, forefront that our most limited resources, resources time. And as a result of that, it's helping drive a lot of decisions on a personal and professional level for many people, as you mentioned, the great resignation. Right. So when you think about getting to AHA and a lot of the learning and insight you have in your latest book, do you have any other final advice for companies or leaders that are looking to leverage insights into achieving sustainable business growth? Well, that goes back to the thing we talked about earlier. There's, there's going to be constant change. So even if you have aha moments today, that doesn't mean that they're not uh, that they're going to last forever. And that's where ongoing conversations and engagement with your marketplace are going to forge those deeper relationships, but not only foster loyalty, but I think you're going to find opportunities to constantly address the needs as they're changing for society and your customers. Right. Well, listen, Darshan, thanks again for joining and helping all of us get to more of our own aha moments and really giving us optimism about the opportunity in the future to gather more meaningful insights. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure talking to you. And a reminder to everyone to please go out and continue to give us the gift of feedback on the podcast. You go out and rate and review very easily on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And remember to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership insights. And also make sure to go out and make a positive impact every day. That's what it's all about in business. And we will see you next time. So long.